1: Connected to the antidote. Thanks for tuning in. Some incredibly sad news arrived to my inbox a week ago, announcing the passing of one of the greats in Christian metal, one of the founders of the band Tourniquet, Ted Kirkpatrick. Led by Ted, Tourniquet won all kinds of music awards, and Ted's talent on the drum kit is legendary. I mean, HM Magazine readers voted Ted as their favorite drummer 11 times. Our night began with Can't Make Me Hate You from the 2018 tourniquet album Gazing at Medusa. In 2019, Ted Kirkpatrick and I had a long talk about faith, music, the band, and his life. So I want to play tribute to an exceptional man by bringing back our chat. It's awesome to have Ted Kirkpatrick of tourniquet here with The Antidote. Thanks so much for coming, Ted.
2: Oh, all right. No problem. Thanks for having me, Dave.
1: I've been curious about the band name Tourniquet. Why did the band choose that?
2: Uh, It was back in, man, 1989. (laughs) And I think it came down to two different possibilities. One was Testify, uh, which just wasn't too unique. And the other was Tourniquet. So we ended up on Tourniquet, and I think we made the better choice.
1: Well, Ted, I ask every band to take us right back to the beginnings of the band. I mean, you're saying 1989, that was a long time ago.
2: That was, yes.
1: How did Tourniquet come about?
2: Um, I had... uh Graduated from University of Texas in Austin with a a business communication degree and um, didn't really want to enter the executive world, as it were, without giving the music a try. You know, I've been drumming since I was 12 years old and said, you know, if I'm going to do this, it should be while I'm uh, young and single. So I moved out to L.A., didn't know a single person there and, um, you know, met up with uh, a couple other guys there and we we formed Tourniquet.
1: And here you are now being not so young, but still doing the drumming.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I have to try to stay uh, young if possible, because uh, most of the drumming is uh, quite tiring. That's good for an excuse to keep in shape. I have no choice.
1: (laughs) We've got to talk about those drumming skills. You must know that you're an exceptional drummer. But is building your skill up to that kind of caliber as easy as you really make it look?
2: Uh, I'd say absolutely not. You know, I, I tell people that it's easy to be mediocre at almost anything. I don't care what it is, you know, sports, music, uh, art, um, whatever. I'm not saying in any way this applies to me, but it, it definitely is extremely difficult to reach that upper echelon because it's very frustrating. And with drumming, you've got four limbs. They're not meant to... Uh, work independently from each other. You know, your feet are kind of supposed to be coordinated with with your arms, and uh, one hand is kind of coordinated with the other one. So. When you get to the point of drumming where it requires disassociation, where your feet are playing one thing while even one foot's playing something, the other foot's playing something else, and your right hand is playing something different from your left hand, it's just not how we're wired. So that's the point where a lot of people with drumming just say, forget it, I'm good enough, let me s- <laughs> stick to what I know, but uh, to start to do that kind of stuff, that that's when... Um, the frustration sets in, and then a lot of people just plateau at that point.
1: You mentioned about starting to drum when you were 12 years old. Have you ever hit the point where you've said, you know what, I've had enough of drumming?
2: Uh, No, I haven't. I I think most musicians can relate to this. Um, you know, it, it, people like um, one of my friends is Frank Marino from Mahogany Rush, Oh, yeah. you know, one of the most um, incredible, just jaw dropping. He's just one of these guys that it just makes it look like he's not even trying. And, you know, and, and I know he's been asked and he just said, you know, when I got to a certain point, I really never practiced anymore. And I think that's true for a lot of people like at that level. I know, you know, I learned when I was growing up, I learned you know, every Rush song backwards and forwards and sideways and, um, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and uh, King Crimson and, you know, Pat Travers, a drum to all this different, you know, fusion stuff, Jean-Luc and on and on. So we call it woodshedding, you know, and I think to get to a certain point, you've got a woodshed for a long time. And I, and I put in my hours and my frustration Then when you get to a certain point, I think the practicing drops off. So people say, oh, how often do you practice? I'm like, not too much. You know, If it, it it has to be for a purpose. You know, like I'm practicing to try to make my drumming great for a specific tourniquet song or something. It's not just like sitting in there practicing. So um, that, I think it gets to that point.
1: Something else that you also do is that you're the primary songwriter. Right, yep. There's not too many drummers that actually fit into that slot.
2: No, you're right. I, I'd say there's a few that are or were lyricists. Neil Peart's a perfect example. You know, he wrote quite a bit of the Rush lyrics, but I'm not really sure I know of anyone else, uh, maybe you do, that not only writes the lyrics, but writes pretty much all the music. And when I mean all of it, I mean every harmony, every vocal line, every vocal harmony, every counter melody, the guitar riffs. um, So yeah, that part is I would say extremely unusual. I, I, I'm not aware of another band where the drummer pretty much writes everything.
1: According to Last FM, the band's most played song is "Melting the Golden Calf" from your 2003 mm. album, where Moth okay. and Rust destroy. Wow! All right. What is it about that song that has attracted so many listeners?
2: It's a, a groovy song. It's a very heavy groove to it. Um, it's kind of a mid-tempo song. And um, it's actually one of my favorite tourniquet songs. I'm kind of surprised to hear that, but that's really cool. And um, it's got great guitar playing from uh, Marty Friedman plays on that one. And, um, you know, speaking of someone you can instantly recognize they're they're playing. So, um, yeah, that's a, a cool song and Um, I think it applies lyrically to people, um, you know, whether you're a believer or not a believer, wherever you are, of um, making a quote-unquote God out of something in your life and how um, no matter where you're at or where you come from, you find out that uh, those things just don't ultimately fulfill to make a God out of um, whatever it is. You know, you're— career or another person or your looks or what money or whatever it is anyway i think that a song lyrically uh, relates to a lot of people
1: and what about for you personally and for the band for tourniquet have you ever had fans putting you on a pedestal and treating you as if you're a god
2: uh it's happened yes it has happened and um sometimes you feel like you let the, the fans or a fan down you know i think um any band when they get to a point they have some of these very very much appreciated but very hardcore fans so yeah th- those are the special people and and i feel a i don't know if it's a responsibility but an appreciation for those people to you know try to make them happy and uh but it, it can be a little daunting once a while when you know you've let someone down
1: was melting the golden calf. Something that is unusual about tourniquet is the music that influences them. That was something I asked Ted about during this part of our talk. The music of tourniquet has been described as Beethoven meets Frankenstein. (laughs) I find that just Mm -hmm. hilarious, but I understand it. Is classical music really your largest influence?
2: Oh, it is. It is by far. Um, and so many people just trot this phrase out. They say, oh, I love all kinds of music. Uh, oh, really? Do you like the Norwegian black death metal? No, mm, I guess not. Oh, do you like opera? Do you like uh, Wagner operas? Mm, no. So they don't really mean that. They mean they like everything. From Taylor Swift to Metallica, that's what they mean. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I say I love all kinds of music, I mean it. I mean world music and and stoner music and um, you know hypersonic fast screech death metal and um, but classical music to me it is in a different category. It's literally to me like um, and you know as a part of my faith, I would say. God put these people less probably than a hundred on earth from, you know, 300 to, you know, Rachmaninoff died in 1943 and Shostakovich died in 1975, I believe. I mean, I would call them the last two of the incomprehensible, brilliant geniuses of classical music. And um, like, I live in South Florida and I see iguanas every day. They're incredible. You see them up close. You can't believe how beautiful they are. And they look like dinosaurs, you know, like a relic from the Pleistocene age or whatever. But classical music is instead of looking out your window and seeing iguana, you look out your window and you see a 60 foot long brontosaurus chewing on a palm tree. That's what classical music is. You know, you, you can't compare these people to anything. People say, well, you know, Duke Ellington was a composer and Paul McCartney's a composer. It's like, please stop it. Stop. So my passion is classical music. You know, the the music of Beethoven and Mozart and Gustav Mahler and Chopin, and, you know, I could go on and on. So to answer your question, uh, yes, absolutely. That is my biggest Passion and my biggest influence in songwriting is classical music.
1: You showcased some of that on your solo album, In the Shadow of the Masters. Yes. And it brings in that classical influence because you were adding your drums to classics like Chopin etude, Opus 10, Number no. 4. So <laughs> you have to tell me have any symphony orchestras asked you to join?
2: Uh, they haven't, but I know there's people. That have heard that album and been interested to hear it. You know, I I was in uh, lived in Milwaukee for a long time and had season tickets to the Milwaukee Symphony there. So I know um, the principal violinist. He's heard the music. You know, this is a guy that plays a 300-year-old Stradivarius violin, and um, his name's Frank Allman. So he he's aware of it. And on a couple of our albums, we've had members of symphony orchestras in on it and also one of the songs on that album is uh Agustin barrios it's his uh that's uh, called the cathedral and it's the allegro part on that and the guy that played that is one of the the greatest uh guitar players in the world dennis azabajic and he heard it with the drums and just said oh my gosh i absolutely love this so he was pleased with it And not every classical musician would react that way. Some would say like, oh my gosh, drums over Beethoven. Come on, dude, you can't do that. But I did it.
1: There's a quote on Wikipedia about your songwriting, and it said, Kirkpatrick's talent for allegory, symbolism, and using unusual and sometimes bizarre examples to convey Christian concepts can be found throughout the tourniquet catalog. So what are your thoughts? Are they bizarre?
2: Uh, I certainly hope so. I mean, people... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I hope they are, yes. Um you know, fans tell us all the time, you know, this song is called gelatinous tubercles of purulent ossification. What's going on? And uh, I make up words, you know, one of the songs i have crawl to China is called claustral spelunker about, uh, you know, getting stuck in a in a cave and how do you get out and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I hope they're bizarre. And, and a lot of the examples come from Uh, nature you know I I think pretty much everybody knows my passion for you know animal welfare and nature and so on so so examples come from that and then examples come from I have a background in high-tech medical equipment sales so I get influence from the medical world and yeah and it's, it's not to try to you know impress people or confuse people but it's it's like you know do we need to hear lyrics for the 8000th time about from wrong to right and into the light and out of the night it's like please stop so you know i try to do things and talk about things in a way that's never been done before i i try to so hopefully that keeps it uh, interesting
1: but the reality is is that simplistic lyrics is the type of music that sells nowadays
2: yeah, that's true. Well, and always in every song, I always try to make sure that the message is clear and that it's not all just, a, you know, confusing lyrics or allegorical uh, this or that, um, that there is a simple message. You know, it, that goes for the music, too. A lot of the um, simplest uh, melodies are you know done by people of extreme talent i mean you think of beethoven who doesn't know you know the opening notes of beethoven's fifth you know mm-hmm. da da uh da, da. you know simple is just as effective and just as important as complex and bizarre
1: so why not stick with the bizarre <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah right uh, there'll always be some of that Yes, and that goes for the music too of throwing in weird things in the middle of songs that like oh my gosh it what, what, what just happened to my ears for that three seconds? So, uh, you know, you'll find that all through the tourniquet catalog.
1: You mentioned a moment ago about being an activist for animal welfare, and that comes out on some of the music of Tourniquet, like the killing of a circus elephant on the song 86 Bullets. Mm-hmm. Would you ever think that activism could take precedence over the Christian themes?
2: Uh, not in any way, no. And I, and I think for literally 25 years, I've been trying to, uh, and and I would say now, the number of people that quote unquote, get it is at an absolute all time high. It's, it's almost a, a watershed movement that people after all these years, like, you know what, the way we treat Animals and the the daily choices we make with what we choose to you know to eat and what we choose to go to you know a circus or um, all those things people have that it's uh, absolutely intertwined with God's original plan of how much He loved His creation you know the Garden of Eden God's perfect plan nobody was killing animals and eating animals and they weren't killing and eating each other that's how God Wanted it. You know, there was no death, there was no suffering or violence towards other living things. It was all together. So I, I think people really kind of understand that to a great degree now, the importance of that. I think when we first started, people would say, Gosh, Ted, what are you, what are you wasting your time with animals for? There's, as they said, you know, there's people, you know, that don't know the gospel that are going to hell and blah, blah. And, you know, as a Christian, I, I believe in the Bible. So, but There's a great deal in the Bible as well about God's care for uh, his creation, his beloved creation. So, um, yeah, so that's been as much a passion as the classical music for me, and I'm sure will never, ever go away. Hey, this is Ted Kirkpatrick with Tourniquet, and you are listening to The Antidote.
0: the callous crowd their share of foolish, misplaced kicks. We not. Believe-
1: Life of Circus Animals has to be awful, and I can see why the band wanted to push this point on the song 86 Bullets. Up next, Ted and I got into Tourniquet's music that was found on Gazing at Medusa. Tourniquet should be considered prolific. You've got two live albums, an EP, and now with the release of your latest album, Gazing at Medusa, that brings the band up to 10 studio albums you make it seem like creating music is easy, but is it?
2: Boy, is that a great question? Um, I would say at times it's like pulling teeth. It's very difficult. And at other times, uh, you know, a few songs I've, I've written in 15, 20 minutes that they just poured out and there they were. But I would say songwriting is definitely work. Um, and I, I always think of the riffs first. The guitar riffs pretty much always come first. And then I plan the drums around that. Yeah, I, I certainly don't feel like I'm out of, you know, we call it, are you out of ammo? You know, you got no other ideas to share. So I, I feel like I, I will never stop writing and releasing music and as long as there's people that seem to enjoy it. I, I, I don't see any end in sight of music to, uh, to write.
1: During high school, I had an English teacher who wrote a series of texts on mythology, so I'm really familiar with Medusa. Mm, uh huh. How about explaining the character for our listeners?
2: Well, Medusa is a, a Greek uh, mythological uh, figure that, uh, if you looked at her directly, you would instantly turn to stone. And, um, you know, there's a great Medusa in the movie Clash of the Titans. You know, there's two versions of that, an older one and a remake. And that's some good stuff right there. Uh, so what it relates to is, and the song talks about it, and it's sung so well by um, Dean Castronova, who, you know, is uh, in Journey for years and in Ozzy's band. And, you know, a, a great, great drummer, but also a fantastic uh, singer. Mm-hmm. He sang that song, the title track, along with Aaron, you know, and our band, the guitar player, does the, the nasty vocals and Dean does the singing stuff. But it, it talks about how the Bible, there's a verse the Bible says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So it's just kind of about when God has the power and to um, make our lives powerful and we can stare right into the face of Medusa without turning to stone.
1: What about for Ted Kirkpatrick? Have you ever encountered a personal Medusa?
2: Uh, I would say, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's times in my life, I, I don't have any kind of a uh, dramatic story. I've never been into drugs, um, you know, there's been times when my faith has been tested, where you wonder what it, that God is not doing anything in your life for a long, you know, extended period of time. And then you feel humbled when you read about people waiting 600 years in the Bible for something to happen, and you, you kind of get humbled a little bit. So um, I don't think any anything too dramatic, you know? Who knows? Maybe tomorrow I'll have Something that'll knock me on my rear, (laughs) you never know.
1: Another song from Gazing at Medusa is Memento Mori. It's a reminder that we're mortal, we're going to die one day, and we should consider where our soul will end up. So here's a rough question for you. Is aiming your music on your Christian faith a way to rack up points for the afterlife?
2: Um, you mean, are you like more rewarded for pointing people that way? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, I, well, I've never even thought about it that way because it just uh, comes out because that's that's how I feel. That's where my faith is. So I certainly never, never once considered that it's somehow scoring points for me personally in any way. Um, yeah, it's just kind of sharing what's important to me. It never once crossed my mind that, that that's what I was doing. I mean, I always feel like there's people out there that I know you know, that I feel it would benefit them to hear a song like Memento Mori or a song like, you know, 86 Bullets about helping animals. And, you know, I wrote a song called Twilight years ago. Uh, I, I remember my um, my grandma, her name was Myrtle. That's an old school name right there, Myrtle Hergert. <laughs> Absolutely. And I remember she lived about 50 minutes away from me. And I was a, I was a lazy high school kid. And I, I looked at few, few times when I made that 50-minute drive to go visit her. And I remember after she passed away and I got a little older, I, I look back on that and I can't believe how selfish I was that I did not go and visit her more. Um, I felt really bad about that, as I should. And so I wrote a song called Twilight, and it's a song about the neglect of the elderly in our society that song had a dramatic effect on me when I wrote it and thankfully on other people as well.
1: The new album, Gazing at Medusa is different from the other tourniquet releases. I don't know how to describe it. It's like the songs sonically snap at you, (laughs) but I'm Uh, sure you've got a better way to say it than I can.
2: Yeah. To me, hands down, this album has our best production sonically of any album. Um, So that, that's a, a credit to um, the the guy that mixed and mastered it, Aaron Pace. Man, is he talented. Just the way he can separate the sounds where you hear absolutely everything and everything is like slamming in your face. Um, and then the mellow parts are very, very clear. So I'm absolutely thrilled with the production. To me, it's hands down the best drum sound we've ever had. I think it's also, uh, the guitar sound, too. A lot of people have commented they just can't believe the, uh, the guitar sounds on it. That's a credit to carefully recording, you know, on our part, and then a huge credit to, as I said, Aaron Pace for his uh, brilliant work on it.
0: throughout the day without purpose All the same routines with all the same outcomes Decision of faith with such good intentions Where did those good intentions go to? We are mortal but think we're invincible We are fragile but think that we're fearless There is power and weakness and peace Within the storm Dying means living Living means dying My man's
1: Memento Moré from Tourniquet. As I mentioned earlier, Ted Kirkpatrick was one amazingly talented musician, and a guy whose purpose in life was to proclaim God. It's guaranteed that everyone will be missing him and his music. Next week will be the first episode of The Antidote's 12th season. I'll be bringing a big selection of new songs, and a talk I had with Abe Germano of Second Adam and The New Creations. Be sure to tune in for that. Well, here's the last of my 2019 conversation with Ted and a final great song from Tourniquet. See you next time. The album also has an unusual song that's called Longing for Gondwana Land, and the lyrics say, once there was a place united one race, now it's not the case we separate ourselves from those who are different. I'm really wondering with the song if you're trying to make a social or take a political stance with that.
2: Um, no, you're right. Uh, political, too, yeah, and social in that we let politics separate us. You know, that, that someone says, oh, you're a liberal, you're a conservative, and that right there creates a wall between people that, that to me, is ridiculous. Um, obviously, we've been doing it for centuries uh, socially. You know, you look different. You know, you sound different, you're from a part of the world I don't understand, I don't appreciate, I don't. And so that's what that song is about. It's it's just a, a message for everyone to, you know, accept people, not only accept, but learn to appreciate the differences in people and where they come from and where they uh, where they're going. And yeah, just a song about, you know, it's kind of a cliche these days, but a song about unity and can't we all get along.
1: With Gazing at Medusa being your 10th album, so what about looking into your crystal ball and telling us what to expect for album number 20?
2: Yeah, yeah, 20's down the road a ways, right? Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine a time in my life ever that I won't like super heavy music. So, you know, this is obviously a common complaint with fans of bands is that, oh, you know, they were so heavy in the early days and they just got more mellow and mellow as time went on and as the the dudes got older. And I I can't imagine a time. I mean, I kind of relate it to if I live to be 85, if I sit down and watch Beavis and Butthead, I guarantee you I'm still going to laugh if I'm (laughs) 85 years old. And, And the same is true with heavy music. I can't ever envision a time when I won't love the sound of a, you know, super distorted guitar or hypersonic speed or a ultra slow. I will always love extremes, and I, I just can't envision a time when I, that will ever uh, be any different.
1: Ted Kirkpatrick has been speaking with The Antidote. Ted, I really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us.
2: Oh, it's been great. Great questions. Um, Makes me think, so I, I appreciate that.
0: With new meaning, my son's here to be We land of liberty, a our game Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's rise From every mountain side, Let freedom ring, and if America should be a great nation This must have come true